Hey folks, Gerald Kirk here, and I'm excited to share that this season of the Higher Ground Society podcast is supported in part by the Alabama Humanities Alliance, a state affiliate of the National Endowment of the Humanities. Any views, findings, conclusions, or recommendations expressed in this podcast episode do not necessarily represent those of Alabama Humanities Alliance or the National Endowment for the Humanities. Now, let's get to the show. So yeah, that was Doc Ticket, but let's talk about some other stuff um, in terms of you guys. I want to talk more about your music, uh, de- musical development over the years. So um, each of you, please tell me how long have you been playing your respective instruments? And like, what have you gotten any like official lessons or anything? Like, tell me more about that. Well, well when I started back in 2000, uh, year 2000, I formed a band in Kolkata and then we were looking for people to play bass and there was there was like a scarcity of bass guitar player. So I went to a teacher and started learning bass before I started playing guitar, which was like a really odd way of starting bass. People go from guitar to bass, but that gave me, I think, some uniqueness I feel from going the other direction. So it's been 20 plus years I've been playing bass. I should have played better, but Hopefully, uh, improve <laughs> what I'm doing. Yeah, man. Always, I love that we all wanted to do our own songs. We love covering songs. We love doing other great songs. That helps us to learn our instrument better. But mm-hmm. we always wanted to create. And that was one thing that was common between all five of us. We were really always pumped up to get a challenge, get an empty canvas, put in some words, throw in some splash of and see where the composition goes. Very nice. So I, I started learning Indian classical like vocal music and a bit of uh, tabla as well um, as a kid, um, right about like seven, eight years old um, mm-hmm. right from that time. And I learned it for a while. And yeah, I was like uh, really enjoying that. But I also found that, you know, not knowing how to play a... a a chordal instrument um, really is restricting me from, you know, trying out other types of music. And, um, and I, and I was, when I was learning Indian classical music, practice the vocals, you practice with a, like a tambura, which is a, basically a drone that just creates this ambience and you just sing along just with the, the root and the fifth, it just creates this ambience. Um, and you just sing along with it. You're basically not playing anything else. Uh, mm-hmm. But uh, the guitar really helped me. So I started learning guitar from about, 2007, 8-ish. When I moved to Florida, I found myself a guitar teacher and, uh, you know, I started to really pick it up. And, but, uh, yeah, I would just like a guy who should have played better. And there's a, but that's great. Um, it always gives one a 
an opportunity to improve. So sure. still learning. Yeah, and just to clarify, tabla is a, an Indian drum, kind of similar to how would you guys make it? It's similar to like, is it congas or bongos or? Well, it looks like bongos, but um, I'm gonna I'm gonna add a point over here. All the percussion books I've studied, um, they have a world percussion section, and every time they go to that section, they explain all the world percussion, and they come to a section on tabla, and they say that oh, we have a separate book <laughs> for tabla. Please go consult that. So it's. It looks like bongos because it, has, it is a two-piece instrument, but it's very different. Techniques are very different. Um, there are like, and, and then the whole aspect of Indian percussion where the counts and bowls, and it's like a verbal language we use for Indian percussion that comes comes in. So so yeah, it's it's different, but I guess you can put a tabla in front of you and play Sure. And so the, the the verbal yeah. part is that the takademi. Very yeah, nice. Yeah. Which oh, I first yeah. it was exposed to, mind you, from a dance performance by the Alvin Ailey Dance Company. It's they're literally it's the the, the piece is called takademi. It's a solo piece uh, by a, a male dancer. I'll right. send it to you. I don't know if I've ever shared it with you guys, but I've shared it with Sam before. And okay. yeah. it's just the sound of the drum. The drum would make you just verbally try to produce it and remember the patterns. In in a to put it in a simple manner. Would you demonstrate? Yeah. Somebody. Uh, who who's going to demonstrate this? The, I think I think child. Um, so there are like um, in the Indian style, like and this and tabla is more I would say predominant to the North Indian classical music because there are two distinct classical music versions: the North Indian and then the 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 Southern Indian classical music is a little different. And the tabla is more predominantly used as a percussion instrument of the Northern Indian classical styles. Um, so we would learn what we call bowls. So this would define the the way that the instrument is being played. The basic the notes are being played on the drum. So it would be go like a sixteen note bit. Beat like a rhythm would go like ta din din da ta din din da na din din na da din din da. So that's basically sixteen beats that are played, and it keeps going round and round. The um, the lesson that you'd get as a an instrumentalist playing or or vocalist singing with the um, with the tabla is that there is what we call a sum, which is the um, starting point of the song or, uh, or, or the or the piece that you're playing. So the the challenge is to when the da din din when it's the first da that you have to always come back to your sum that the sum that of your song or your or piece has to match with the da, and that was a challenge. Like when you're learning, because you have to constantly keep count of it. You can do impromptu, uh, like variations, like improvisations, but you have to make sure whatever you do, you have to come back and match up with the tabla player. So that was, uh, uh, you know, that's, that play definitely still has a lot of relevance when we trying to do the kind of music that we do. And, like, and you know, I, I don't count like what Shomak is playing, for instance. I just well, like, but still, there's that sense that works in mind like you have to mention or you have to mention up. So but in that in that bowl that Shakti just mentioned there is only not just straight counts, there are also like yeah. half beat counts, 
but yeah. it's just so that's bowl, like, the bowl that I, yeah. I mentioned is called the tintal which is called the oldest or the adital the tal means the beat and adi means ancient so it's called the adital or tintal but then there have been various others there like you, you would think of your like uh, uh, what's the all those different Dada, kinds so there yeah. is the, the like the three four uh, and correct me guys if, if this is my wrong so that's the daughter I was so so tintal is 16 right so you could you could literally play a four over four on a drum and it will you can fit it on a on a on a tintal uh, so tintal will play on a 16 uh, you can fit a four four cross four on yeah. it so so that's way that's how you can like yeah so intricate and very like you have to be. I hope people are gathering that um, if you listen. You have to have some semblance of of discipline to even practice this. Because and I don't have it personally. I'm just like yeah. <laughs> one, two, three, four for me. Yeah, Indian classical. So so there is this. There is this. Uh, uh, people say that if you are an Indian classical, young Indian classical, <laughs> you're just bad. You. You cannot be a good Indian classical music until you hit fifty or sixty. It sounds right. It's a lifetime, and and uh, uh, and then just for uh, regarding percussions, there are so many like so many different kinds of counts. Like recently, this is um, there is one of the maestros Biku. I was listening to him. He plays a nine and a half beat count. You know that the, 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 yeah. yeah, the count repeats every nine and a half beat. And the, he's a he's a maestro in Carnatic classical. Um, Good so, point. Which is the Southern Indian. Yeah, thank you. So I want to bring that out. So we actually had Chaitra. You know, you guys know Chaitra Gururaj, who's also yeah. from Auburn. She was on the show mm-hmm. in season two, or season one. Mm-hmm. One of those. She, and she was earlier on in the, in the on the show, and she represents the Carnatic music, the Southern Indian music. What's the name for the North Indian music, or is it just North Indian? Hindustani, 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 yeah. yeah. Gotcha. Um, and talking about the you know the, the the stuff that we now hear, the like math rock, which is very I think uh, popular now. We listen, I listen to some of that, and I can hear those intricate drumming, or sometimes even in jazz, like hearing those. Yeah. Intricate drumming. And there are times where you can literally take one of these bowls or thals from the Indian style of like one of them and you can just literally take it and fit it onto that song like that's yeah, it. Really. You know, um, but, it do that. I mean, uh, Shakti, if you remember the band called Shakti, John McNafflin and uh, Zakir Hussain and a few other musicians, they came together and made a band called Shakti. They did jazz fusion. So jazz with Indian classical and all the like the intricate jazz drumming would be done on a tabla. Nice. So if you want to listen to good tabla uh, for all the viewers, basically, find the band called Shakti. Listen to them. Very nice. Yeah. Or what? What were they called? Mahavishnu Shakti, Orchestra. Shakti. Also, yeah. Yeah, Shakti yeah. is the name of the band. But John McLaughlin, uh, he was in. Yeah, also, he he, he plays with a lot of projects. But Shakti is the main one, which he, yeah. which was founded by Zakir Hussain yeah. and John McLaughlin. Very nice, very nice. Yeah, me and Ujan were talking about it. There is a very good um, drummer that used to play with him. Well, Zakir Hussain played. Zakir Hussain is. I don't know if you uh, attended that show. Yeah, he, he came to Auburn. Zakir Hussain uh, came to Auburn. He is the tabla maestro. He's one of the. Yeah, the yeah, he's the Sakir Hussain. And then um uh John McLaughlin also used to play with uh, 
another great drummer called Trilok Gurtu. Um, and they used to do all okay. these fusions together. Um, nice. Yeah. Uh, Dev Deep, you next on my on my uh, my Hollywood Squares. Uh, how long have you been playing guitar? And I, I will say this because um, Dev Deep actually posts a lot of videos of himself playing guitar. So I kind of feel like I'm on this learning journey with you uh, yeah. <laughs> as you rock out and like you continue to like you know develop yourself. So how long have you been playing, and, and how's that been like for you? Yeah, so I've been playing guitar for a little more than eight years now. Okay. Um, so yeah, but a lot of people don't know this. So guitar wasn't my first instrument technically. Okay. So when I was in middle school, I picked up uh, an Indian instrument, uh, which is called harmonium. Um, sure. And I played for a bit, like I fiddled around with harmonium for a few months or maybe a year. But then I kind of, I don't know, the interest kind of waned off or something. Um, mm -hmm. But then... Later on, uh, as I moved to like uh, my college uh, and undergrad, later on in my undergrad, like later part of undergrad, I kind of was leaning more towards rock music. I was being introduced to a lot of different rock music from uh, the British rock era, also from uh, American rock bands of the 80s and late 70s. So yeah, and that kind of made me fall in love with uh, that sound of rock and uh, I got in, I had a couple of very good friends who were really good guitarists back at that time. Mm -hmm. So yeah, I was influenced by them as well, playing, uh, like jamming around me. And that, that's how I picked up guitar. And yeah, and uh, so I would say my interests were more lean, leaning towards rock music at that time. But after I moved to Alabama in uh, 2017, I was being introduced to blues and that kind of opened up a new world to me. Um, sure. So yeah, and I guess that's where my guitar journey kind of picked off um, because I was able to kind of relate to a lot of different uh, types of music. I was being exposed to a lot of different sounds that I had never experienced before. And then I met uh, Ujan, Shaya, Kovic, and Shomak. And Ujan and was in Auburn at that time, and he was kind of teaching me Hindustani classical, which I am a little ashamed to admit I. Uh, being a, being from India, I wasn't that exposed to Sunny Classical un until I met Ujan. So sure. yeah, and that kind of uh, helps me, you know, like really, because there are always correlations between different uh, genres of music. Yeah, there are so much correlations. Like he would yeah, talk like, about Frisian scale and, you know, Mixolydian scale and I would talk exactly, about Exactly, and Ujan would, Ujan would... Yeah, Ujan would find an equivalent rag which would say uh, correspond to Phrygian scale. I would be playing some solo on Phrygian scale, and Ujan would be like, "Oh, this is this rag," and then we could almost like talk each other's languages that way. And uh, yeah, so I learned a lot about Hindustani classical from these guys, and that kind of you know shaped my music in a different way and helped me develop uh, as a musician a little bit more as well. That's awesome. Love that. Love that you guys are learning from each other. Um, Ujan, so you're the, you're the flute guy, but I'm sure you play other things too. So uh, how long have you been playing flute though? I started learning flute in 2009 when I was in my uh, sophomore year of my undergrad. I always wanted to learn an instrument. Nobody in my family plays in music. So I always wanted to learn in some instrument and... Uh, flute was my second choice, actually. Shorod was my first, but Shorod is a bulky instrument. It's a big thing, and flutes are smaller. So I thought I'd give flute a try. And um, 
thing is, as Shomok said, that in Indian classical, you need to learn for at least 10, 20 years to be at some place. But I only learned for three years because after my undergrad, I left uh, my hometown. Sure. Right? And uh, since then, I've been like finding people to play with. And while I was learning, I, I just learned the basics, the grammar of the instrument, you know, how, you know, basically you would manipulate the sounds basically, but I didn't learn how to play by ear by then. Mm. But once I started playing with other people uh, and they don't know anything about notations or anything. So I had to develop that uh, point where I could play anything by ear, you know, and that was a very whole different kind of practice. So I had an Indian classical instrument, but I used it for different purposes. Right. And, um, when I came to the U.S., of course, um, the thing is, uh, it's it's not, I mean, the Indian flute is not a very common instrument in the U.S., mm. but it is pretty common back in India, of course, but sure. not in the U.S. So, uh, so the type of songs that we do, we try to get around so that, um, you know, we can utilize this instrument as much as we can. But after coming here, I... Um, harmonica i learned to play harmonica because i i got really inspired by the blue all the blues music i really really love blues sure. and harmonica is a very big part of that and in the lockdown in 2020 i started playing a little bit of guitar and um turns out that um i have always had a love for the resonator guitar like the you know oh, the sure. slide yeah, yeah. Ones, those slide guitars because that when you slide a guitar, it sounds very similar to a lot of Indian uh, string instruments. Right? Sure. So that always attracted me a lot. And right when I got my job, the first thing I bought was a resonator guitar. That took from Spicer's in Auburn. Nice. Yeah, so, yeah, so that's something. Uh, yeah, so I've been playing flute since uh, 2009, so that 14 years. But again... Like everybody else says, I should have been better, but I I wish to learn more. I wish to take more formal classes for that, but it's sure. not very common in the U.S. So I have to find somebody from India to you know go over me, go over these things in uh, online. Yeah, um, that reminds me uh, another mutual friend of ours, you know, Rasika. She's uh, what does she play? Vina. The Vina and how she takes, you know, she's also yeah, yeah. not young. <laughs> and she's, you know, also still perfecting, you know, Vina and taking lessons. I don't know who she is now with the all the, the kids and everything. Uh, but you never stop learning when it comes to instruments. You never sure, stop learning. Sure. So Shomak, you're the percussionist, but the, I fun fact, one of our first met or came to know Shomak, I first met Shomak in uh Ujan. And it was through the Cultural Music Society thing and the performances at the museum. And the first time I saw them perform, Shomok was actually a vocalist. And he was singing that one song. <laughs> I don't know what it is, but I just remember it's... <laughs> that was Moon from Cactus. Uh, and Chungan Maji. Chungan Maji. 
Yeah, yeah. Shujan Maji and Moon fused together. Um, yeah, and yeah. it was a great was a song. Band. And I was like, I thought it was beautiful. And Sean can actually <laughs> sing. I was like, oh, cool. So he sings. But turns out that you guys are all so talented. And you do so many different things. And so here he is primarily playing the uh, the, the, the drums. So how long, and tell us more about your musical background. Like, How long have you been doing drums and singing and all that? All right, Gerald, I have a confession. So... I, I am the poser in this group. I have never had any kind of musical training, honestly. But no what way. I had was, yeah, I had. I grew up in a house with two musicians. My mom and dad um, had extensive musical background, so that kind of puts me in a spot of like, I guess, uh, being exposed to a lot of good music. Um, my, what my dad certainly did was play a lot of Indian classical music every evening, okay. like on on cassettes, you know, sure. um, back then. Yeah. And then um, I would always listen to that. Uh, but also on my own, I would venture uh, and find these uh, uh, CDs of, of uh, Western rock and Western um, pop music. Um, and and I that that's how I kind of grew years for both both the music. And that's what we were having the conversation. I always kind of find my sweet spot to be a fusion because I get the flavors of both. Um, so, so I would say I, I was, um, exposed to music like that, but we also had like, I growing up, I had a bunch of, um, musical instrument in my house and, you know, always when you have something, you don't, you don't realize the importance of it. Sure. So I, I never, um, I never felt the need of learning one until like when I was almost like 15 or 16, when I picked up the mandolin. Okay. Um, because, and this is because, because everyone was playing guitar in high middle school. <laughs> I was like, oh, I need to, I guess I need to pick something up. So I had a mandolin in my uh, home. So I picked that up and my dad showed me some basic stuff. And honestly, um, most of it was YouTube learn. And sure. then when I came here, um, when we started playing, me, Ujan, and uh, uh, there was another a person from Bangladesh was playing with us, Gopal, uh, a good friend of ours, and he he wanted to play all the percussion stuff, mm. and he was good at it. He he actually used to play tabla, but when he got a drums, I was just um, just experimenting on it, and I learned with him. I learned how to kind of hold a bad beat, uh, but but to to kind of sum it up. Um, I kind of learned, I would say Sam was a big part in teaching me how to drum. Because okay. um, you remember we used to meet at their place uh, in, in that back room where we used to practice. Yeah. Um, that's where I honestly picked up percussion. So I've been playing percussion, honestly, I would say uh, for five, six years. Now. Sure. Um, yeah. Um, and yeah, every time it's like someone had a drum and I would we, we were in Birmingham when I used to go see Shayokta and Obikta, me and Ujan would drive. There we played with uh, uh, other musicians too. And one of the uh, uh, elder brothers, he had, had a big drum set at his place and I, I, I played on that. And that's how kind of I got uh, got into percussion. Yeah. Um, yeah. And, then, and then he got an electric set and he started... Right, and, right. And, he started... and that was Obik. Obik. Obik that uh, uh, that arranged an electronic drum set for me, which I played on, and and really, I mean, honestly, my percussion learning is is everyone else's contribution. That's awesome. Well, I want to say I'm shaking my fist at you, Obik, because yeah. 
when I come to visit to Auburn, I used to come to town, he really took practicing very seriously. And so it would be either eight o'clock in the morning or 11 o'clock at night. You'll be upstairs, you'll hear, you wouldn't hear like actual drum sounds. Showmuck downstairs on electric drums. Uh, he was very diligent about it. So that's great. It's an entire, yeah. I can also see, I would say I've witnessed your growth and your diligence in practicing and honing your craft as well. Um, uh, thank you guys all for sharing your journey because it's very important too for like other musicians or uh, upcoming musicians too to understand that you can't just necessarily like pick something up and I mean, I guess you could, but like it really pays off to like really invest some time and learning more about your instruments and that sort of thing. So, uh, and it shows off to you and your guys's music. So, um, yeah. And now I think I'd like to kind of shift gears a little bit and talk more about like, you just, instead of talking uh, about music, let's talk more about like just your perspective on living both in Alabama and in India a little bit. Um, in what ways, if any, is Alabama similar to India? This is like such a random question and completely different from everything we've talked about so far. But I'm curious because I want people to know, again, I, I'll just uh, here's an admission to myself. Growing up in South Alabama, everything was pretty much black and white. Maybe some like uh hispanic latino folks but that wasn't even super popular and so straight up did not even encounter get to in, in, in interact with folks from asia which is to say east asian south asia like <laughs> didn't didn't encounter folks from asia really until i got to college um and so i think it's really important to be able to kind of pull some of these like things out and just have some kind of exposure for folks who don't get to um you know encounter folks from different cultures so tell me a little bit like what's your experience between Alabama and India is like somebody. I think mean, uh, the great thing when you live in a university campus, sure. it's always a very cosmopolitan boiling pot where you meet people from new countries, new states, different backgrounds. I think one similarity is that the city from which we come from in India, Calcutta, there's a lot of warmth. Hmm. And I think I felt a lot of warmth. Um, that may be contrary to whatever the belief goes out in the world about Alabama, but all the people I met there have been very nice from mm. different, like, be it any shade, any color, anyway, it's a person. It's yeah. more of a person and a people. And I think that's what I feel of Alabama when I feel of like a home there. It's not the city. It's not the university. It's the people I met there. Mm -hmm. It made me welcome, man. That's what I think Calcutta also is a very welcoming city. If you go someday, Jay, you will find that people are very welcoming. You need directions. You got lost. A stranger, will, unknown person will come and help you. I think I got that kind of a vibe from Alabama all the time. Sure. That's a common thing that comes up often. People, even people who are from Alabama, they that's the favorite thing that comes up on the show is that the people of Alabama is like really special to them. All the so. sweeties and all the honeys. I've never got called sweeties and honeys before. Uh -huh. before Alabama. <laughs> that was great. That was great. <laughs> Old ladies just crying. Hello, sweetie. Can I help um, you? <laughs> yeah. Anybody I was, else? I was going to say, I would uh, kind of, uh, in the point of what Ovik was saying, that um, uh, we we never like got the whole experience of Alabama as a state because we mostly stayed in the college town in a, in a university town or or be linked with people in the university. So the culture was diverse in itself, 
Um, and so um, we, we had a more um, comfortable um, environment that we stayed in. Um, sure. In that, I would say that still, I feel like you always kind of attract similar people or tend to find people like you. Um, not not like not by like you. I mean like people from my city or my country. Even my uh, international friends or friends from from America who had that similar kind of uh, mindset or or thought process. In, in that, I would say that if we see our our just musical group, the friends we have, like we were talking about Sam and Rasi, the the lifestyle, the way they live is like very to our culture that we have seen in India it's like a like a, mm. it's not like not like individually not I'm not, I'm not saying uh, there are people that that are like that I guess in Alabama or in this country I don't know but and it, it is very similar to what I found was very similar to uh, what I saw in Calcutta maybe there are other people like that too but yeah, yeah, for sure. I guess the uh, like the intellectual connections go way beyond, you know, like uh, nationalities or where you're from. Right. I guess, uh, and I guess we were really lucky to meet a lot of uh, like-minded people there. And mm. uh, so, yeah, I think. Yeah. Uh, but I, I that that's that's the point. Yeah, like we we do meet uh, like-minded, but I keep hearing this all the time that, uh, yeah, American society can be individualistic, but in my experience. It has been not. It's not been like that because the people I have been around were not like that. So, so I can't really say. But, but what I found was similar to my culture, probably because I found people that were similar to me. You know. For sure. Yeah. I want to say um, humid summers, um, <laughs> mostly. That's somewhat similar to. Um, but maybe the winters are still much warmer. Oh, okay. Weather-wise, yeah. But, um, you know, the rush hour 280 sometimes reminded me of uh, Calcutta traffic sometimes. Yeah. Uh, I would say not as unruly, yeah. but um, um, that, uh, uh, my love for, you know, Indian grill, kebabs and food, Indian food. And, you know, how many times I would just be like, you know, the barbecue restaurants and places in Birmingham, mm-hmm. all that was, was really um, something I kind of found similarity and I've just grilled, grilled meat. That's how I think for grilled meat, I guess. Uh, and uh, yeah, uh, we talk a lot there about... One other quality that I'd like to mention that is Kolkata is famous or infamous for being laid back as well as busy. Like there is a sense of being laid back, of being lazy, as well as everybody is going somewhere, but nobody is going anywhere. It's kind of like that. It's like there are people on the streets, but you if you just go there, you'll find somebody just standing and staring at other people going around. And, you know, it's something similar with Alabama as well. It's I think that was you. I think that was you back in Kolkata and in Alabama. Who was oh, I was definitely part of that. that. Yeah, definitely. I would you just stand and stare. I would go to a crowded station and just look at people just... Very so, easy, but, just but yeah, that is true. What is everybody true. at one point of the day would just stand and stare at others? Yeah, but <laughs> but, but what are you saying? Like, I would see, I would see like hour and a half lunch, just chill lunch in between work, you know, like some, exactly, some days, exactly. Um, exactly, not every day, some days, yeah, <laughs> exactly. Nice. And Alabama would, it was something like that, also, just chill, you know, sure. Uh, we have so, work, we'll get to that in our so, own time. 
What about the differences then? If I mean, there are obviously differences, <laughs> but what are some ways that are like more poignant differences? Were there anything, was there anything difficult, which I know it's like a silly question to ask, but was there anything difficult in coming to Alabama and adjusting um, with the environment? And feel, please feel free to speak freely. Uh, um, can, can I can I start this off? Yeah, sure, go ahead. Uh, in and and I'm gonna be completely honest when when I talk right now. So, um, I have found like really good friends in my eight and a half years I have lived in Auburn, and um, that's the longest I have lived anywhere outside of my hometown, Colbert. Mm-hmm. Um, and like, like we just talked about, there are the, the people of Alabama, they're nice. It's also the niceness that has sometimes got to me in the, in the sense I'll, I'll explain in the sense that, um, I have felt that sometimes that, um, I have known a person for a long time and he has been super nice. Um, and still I don't know much about it. it's uh, it's there is a there, I feel like there is some kind of like r- too much niceness that creates a wall you know it, it's sure. like it's almost like if you don't share your hardships with someone you don't become friends it's, sure. it's that sense that I have felt like and it almost creates this sense of separation or, or loneliness with that person, you know, uh, in, mm-hmm. even in the presence of that person that, oh, I have known this person for so long and yet I can't open my, my heart out in front of that person. Mm-hmm. That, that is a sense I've felt. <laughs> but I don't know if that, that's probably because I feel that about Alabama because I've lived there for so long. Mm-hmm. That might be true for other places too. Um, yeah, that's that's yeah. There. So I, I mean, can't I can't put that on Alabama. Um, but I, I but. think what you're what you're probably experiencing is something that we would probably recognize within the country itself. Culturally, the South is all about this yeah. Southern hospitality. Everybody, mm-hmm. all the sweeties and honeys, like you talked about. Right. Like it's all about you know not projecting a, a, an idea, but about being this genteel society where people everything's good all the time right right um and there's a variety of reasons why that is the case but and i do think that that does and I, I will say it's often sometimes bolstered by the um overwhelming religious aspect right. of the south right. as well right. and so like you said it puts up a wall it, right. it, it prevents people from being truly vulnerable sometimes right. um so yeah for sure i definitely get that 100 yeah, it's almost like people are people are being nice but but they're hiding something, you know? Sure. And, and it's not necessarily, Even if they're angry, it's not necessarily nice. a vice. It's probably just, they're also not comfortable with me. It's like not, our friendship is not, not, sometimes it feels like it's not a true friendship, you know? It's just, sure. yeah, it's very superficial. Um, I have yeah. had that feeling here. Um, yeah. Yeah. I get that. I think it's changing a little bit, especially after the pandemic and people are beginning to realize right. the the mental um, 
struggles of yeah. you know not having those genuine connections i think people are starting to realize and recognize and it's important to break through those walls and be more vulnerable with yeah. each other uh, but it's definitely an old south like yeah, old to, southern to add thing. to that yeah just what you said to add to that i have like um never heard the word depression floating around so much as sure. i have heard after coming here and i feel like part of it is like just the way even like I feel like just the way the apartments are built, like in India, I could see my neighbors through their window, like, you know, and we would have a conversation. Um, yeah. We can't have that here until and unless you really walk outside the door and stand yeah. in the yard and wait for someone else to come out. You don't have, you don't find, and that's why oftentimes we don't know our neighbors here. I, I feel yeah. like that's something. Um, yeah. That's, yeah. And, but that's the, again, that's, that's just not about our so, Alabama. It's, uh, it's yeah. most more of a country-wise thing, yeah. I would say, because it's the same here in Florida as well. Yeah. But I cannot imagine, you know, two people, you know, sharing the same wall between the apartments and living there for two years and not knowing each other's name. Right. Right. That happens a lot here. Yeah. But in India, that's impossible. You cannot ever do that. Sure. And India has this like a thing called Para, which is a neighborhood. And each neighborhood, everybody knows everybody else. Sure. Uh, and, you know, and so that much... could also be because people don't move that much in India. They just... Yeah, yeah that's true. That's true. But also, I mean, just, just saying that um, that's definitely true. People don't move as much. And also, so much is happening. If you just go out to buy bread, yeah, and in the five minutes that it takes to walk from your house to the shop, so much has happened. Somebody's calling somebody's child. Somebody has fallen, you know, mm -hmm. just tripped over somewhere. And somebody is quarreling, hoggling, basically haggling about the price of the rickshaw or something. Everything, something and the other is going on. It's almost overwhelming. And after spending so much time, it has been what? Um, about eight years for me in the US. After going back to India, it feels where I've grown up, that feels overwhelming. There's so much is happening all the time. And here yeah. nothing happens. Yeah, it's just yeah. a lot of people there, but yeah, sure. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I mean, you go out to get a grocery, uh, you spend 80 bucks on grocery, you come back and you don't speak to anybody. Yeah. And imagine going to a market in India, you, you cannot buy a single thing that's worth five rupees without talking to anybody. Yeah. yeah. That's so funny because I feel guilty now because I've been living next to my neighbor for like almost three years, going on three years now, and I do not know who they are. So maybe right, get off your chair right now. <laughs> So the next question is, I want to know how you guys remain connected to India while you're so far away. Like everybody's parents are still in India, yeah? Or their families are still in India. So how do you guys remain connected? And also just be mindful, uh, help me be mindful of the time difference. Like it's almost like a day difference, yeah. right? Like we're half a day, yeah. Half a day, yeah. Half a day. So they, India is 12 hours ahead of us. From Florida, it's yeah. what, 10 and a half right now? Yeah, it's um, 13. Yeah. Central time, it's yeah. average and a half. Central, it's, it's, on an average, it's 12, I would say. Yeah. I want to say daylight saving is not something just we struggle with, our parents do as well. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> sure. So, how do you stay connected with you know your families in that way? And how often do you get to go back and visit? Um, I would say try to visit, um, Kolkata a couple of years, at least every couple of years, uh, staying connected, um, 
recently I lost my father, uh, passed away um, at early 2022. Always kept in touch with them over the telephone or via Skype, Zoom, uh, WhatsApp, video calls, uh, you name it. Um, yeah, just, yeah. you know, sometimes it would be like you would, and I think this could be true for everybody. We just call our parents and just be on like on the phone and just the phone would be on and we'd be working on the computer or doing like, like cooking and we'd be just talking about things. Sometimes there might be long pauses because my mother is probably doing something in the kitchen in her sure. own kitchen. But, you know, it's just that one hour or two hours of the phone just stays on and we talk randomly. Sometimes we're just quiet, but that like feeling of being there and even though it'd be an electronic conduit over thousands of miles, we just feel like we're in the same place sharing our experiences. She asked me about the weather, asked me about my cats. I asked her <laughs> if she took her own medicines today and <laughs> planned for the evening and things like that. So it's, 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 it's tough sometimes, but again, this is how we kind of try to, uh, uh, would say try to keep our keep our tab on on our people. <laughs> sure, sure. Yeah, it it is uh, it is hard. It's you can't be present there. If if they need you to be present physically, you can't. Be. So it's all video call. Um, yeah. That's that's all we have. So yeah. So okay, so that's fairly straightforward you just maintain a regular communication regimen with your family what about culturally when you're not talking with your family and you are living you have to live your life here in the u.s um i think I, one thing i love that you guys always a lot of your performances are at like indian cultural um festivals that sort of thing so tell me how you or is that just something that you do through performances or do you kind of stay connected in like just like your regular life as well i think we 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 are able to stay connected with our community here. I think every city, every university has like Indian student organizations. Then sure. there are Indian um, families who have been working, maybe professors in the universities are working differently professionally as a doctor. So there's always a community wherever, whichever city we go, maybe small, big, medium, based on the size of the city we live in. But then there are regional communities. Yeah, most of them are very welcoming. Mm -hmm. And when you go as a grad student, you are like the person they love because they know they have gone through that phase of life, right? When they were mm -hmm. a grad student, they missed a lot. Now, but now they are more established and working. They kind of do like a pay it forward. They welcome us. They will cook food for us or make us feel not miss our home back. So that has been a very constant, I think, all over U.S. I think even in Canada, Devdeep, I went and visited him last month. He has some cool friends. There are good people around. I got him connected to a few other people. And that's how we get, stay in touch with our roots. Very good. Very, that's awesome. And what about being here, like, the time-wise? Like, do you guys, are you guys here? Are you here for good? Or is there, are there plans to go back to India? Or, yeah, what is, what's that like for just everybody? Uh we have a song for that. Yeah. Oh, yeah? Yeah, we have, we have a song where, which I think we all go through that we feel that one day we'll go back home. Yeah. But we won't. And that's how we say to our heart that... At least we don't we'll, know. We'll, I mean, yeah, home. we don't know. It's, yeah. it's like a hope of returning home. Yeah. But it's also open to... But at the same time, we have the hope. At the same time, there is this, um, I'd say, fear that we might not be able to. 
Yeah, we had this, the song was Feedable which is like, I will go home. And the, the hook line, or every time it returns to this one, like a chant that I will go home, I will go home. And then that repeats a few times. And then right after there's a line that that's how I keep myself contained or I stay content with that. So when my mom first heard it and I hadn't been home in a couple, like been to Kolkata in a couple of years, just she heard that song when we first came out with a song and she's like, you sing all the time so passionately about this. You guys are doing this, but when will I see you? Will you ever come home? I'm like, mom, listen to the song more yeah. carefully. <laughs> <laughs> that's incredible though. I love that you're able to put that into your music. That's, that's awesome. I love that. Uh, speaking of uh, what's so what was the name of that song? Uh, it was Fearable. Fearable means I will return and body means home. Oh. Okay. Okay. So that's not the song that you, you guys wanted to chat about. Um, I want to try to say it correctly. Gan Bal. Mm. Let me redo it. Here okay. we go. <laughs> Gan Balobashi. Yeah. Yeah. Nice. Yeah. That was it. I got a little coaching earlier because I was told that the B is a bp which i don't know how that works but <laughs> a b8 oh okay well <laughs> so you guys say it correctly how do you say it it's called gan Mahalawashi, very which nice we love music oh that's precious <laughs> that's great <laughs> so this song is really fun give you a little sample of it here <laughs> All right, it's uh, that. Tell me more about this. Or who 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 wrote this one? Um, so the the lyrics idea came from me because. I always thought whenever we listen to one of our favorite songs, it's not just the song. It takes us back to the moment in a sure. time machine when we first heard that song. And that feeling makes it always our favorite song. It's not always the song. It's the moment that is attached, the emotion that is attached to a song. And there is always a new song coming on the airwaves that we don't know will become our next favorite song. For sure. And this is this is that kind of a journey where... It starts with this feeling, and then there is a conversation between the songwriter and the listener is that, are we all taking the same journey, going through the emotions at the same time? And then we come back that, yes, we all have some connection. Maybe I wrote the song from a different perspective, but the listener has their own love. They make the song their own. So this song is about the song created and how it connects to the audience. And that's all of our love for music that still keep us going. We are still recording four new songs that's going to come out next year. Nice. We finish them, although we are all in different parts of the North America, but we are still, that keeps us going. That's very, very impressive. And I love the fact that the meaning behind you guys' music is so like strong and powerful and uh, i'm so glad we're able to have this conversation so we don't miss out on that because of the, the language difference um so is, are there any of the lyrics in the in the line in the music in that one um that you want to point out that are really distinct i think shumok did a very good uh, like a translation of the song sure um 
So the basically it's like there is always a new song that comes up on a radio. Mm-hmm. And there is always some untapped emotion in your heart. Mm-hmm. And that the song touches and that becomes your favorite song. Yeah. That moment you you just flow yourself, you jump into the pool of emotions and music and you float along with it. And that's yeah. the whole essence of the song. That's incredible. And you can uh, bring a tear to your eye or you can bring a smile to your face. And that's why we love music. Nice. And Alvik, I love you talking about this. Like you're such a great spokesperson. <laughs> That's so great. Thank you so much for elaborating on that. And you guys, again, please hang tight to the end of the episode to to, um, to hear Gan Falopashi. Uh, I think I'm, everybody's hey, nodding hey, their hey. heads if I say that. Thank I you so much. You did a great job, yeah. <laughs> Thank you. Hang tight and listen to that at the end of the show. Um, right before we, we wrap up, though, I have two questions that I ask of every artist guest that comes onto the show um and we've kind of hit on this you know throughout the conversation but like how has alabama influenced you like what will you take away from your experience in living in alabama i'll take a lot of green and beautiful landscapes sure at least in my hometown in calcutta it's like a concrete jungle but in alabama you have the real green the greenery and the serenity and a lot of absolute silences that Mm -hmm. we all have experienced in our own way Uh, that I will take back and always keep inside me to inspire me about Alabama. The food. I I always want to mention food. The barbecue, yes. If somebody serves me barbecue, I'm like, it's not Alabama. It's okay. That is so funny. I was so glad because Shai, you said you love grilled meat, so like yeah. you got plenty of that here, and it's so and it's important to denote too. You know, there are other places in the country that have or are supposedly famous for their barbecue: St. Louis, North Carolina, blah blah blah. But Alabama has its own barbecue tradition that stands out on its own and is very very distinct and amazing. Um, the white barbecue sauce is a you know invention of North Alabama, and I'm hands down my favorite barbecue sauce out there. So. Thank you for for that. that I'm getting that hungry. Stop talking about barbecue. <laughs> Hi, this is Avik from the Mutineers of Alabama. Please enjoy our song, Gan Bhalobashi.
আজও ভেসে আসে নতুন সুরার কথা ছুঁয়ে যায়
And that's a wrap on our conversation with the Mutineers of Alabama, the first in a series of conversations with artists from Higher Ground Society's flagship project, Patchwork Symphony, the Alabama compilation album. Remember, the album is out everywhere music is streaming, so Spotify, Apple Music, Tidal, you know the deal. So go on and listen to it today and get your groove on. I am so grateful for the opportunity to chat with the guys from the Mutineers as they shared their passion for music and how they maintain connections to their Indian roots while living abroad in America. Be sure to follow them on their musical journey on Instagram at the.mutineers and on Facebook at themutineers-alabama. This episode featured the song Jerky by Birmingham musician Alex Horn. Check out Alex on Instagram at underscore Carol Loops underscore. That's underscore C-A-R-R-O-L-L-O-O-P-S underscore. (laughs) Thanks again to the Alabama Humanities Alliance for their continued support of the Higher Ground Society podcast. Be sure to check out the great work that they're doing across the state at alabamahumanities.org. Lastly, don't forget to subscribe to the podcast wherever you're listening so you don't miss out on more conversations with the rest of the Patchwork Symphony artists and other Alabama creatives and thinkers. Until next time, be easy.